0: Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us." When will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered them and said, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come therefore. When you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, Pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a sabbath for then there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, Do not go out or behold. He is in the inner rooms. Do not believe them For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west So will the coming of the Son of man be Wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather But immediately after the tribulation of those days The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the skies and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will ga- and he will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves you know that summer is near So, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this, If the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have let his house be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful insensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, (laughs) my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: Well, some of you are here today and you're like, yes. End times. Yes. Some of you are like, oh man, like I brought a friend today. And then some of you just listened to what Joe Hoover said and you went like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Right. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to explain to you everything to expect in the end. I'm going to give you the absolutely true, exhaustive, perfect understanding of all things end times. You ready? <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, here we go. Um, here's what I do want to do, okay? Um, I, I do want to give you some perspective to see some things that people have to say about that. There's no way. I mean, here's here's the truth. Um, Some of you have thought that our study through the book of Matthew has been long, right? (laughs) Thank you. We could spend years on this chapter alone, right? And I got 24 minutes, Okay. So here, here's what i want to do. I want to give you a cursory view of some of the understanding and interpretation of what's going on here. And the first one is one that you're probably familiar with. It's probably the most familiar one because um, how many of you, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you have read a Left Behind book or watched a Left Behind movie? Okay? Okay? Um, uh, the Left Behind series in the book, it comes from what's called dispensationalist fundamentalism. Um, it's a big word. We're going to use the phrase futuristic view. Futuristic view. And for most people, this understanding of the end times is what they've been most exposed to. And, it, and it's a good um, view. There, there's some really smart people that believe this futuristic view. And, and what the futuristic view says, or the dispensationalist, fundamentalist um, view says, is that what Jesus is talking about what the book of Revelation talks about, what, what the book of Daniel talks about is futuristic. It's in the future, right? So it's pretty easy, right? We can, we can look through and we can read what Jesus has to say and, and, and we can see, um, you know, he says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many and, and you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Anybody, anybody heard of wars or rumors of wars, right? Do not be frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places, there'll be famines and earthquakes. And in other portions, um, there'll be um, plagues. Anybody, anybody, anybody heard of, um, like, disease? <laughs> you know, like, right? And so what, what he's saying is that um, in a futuristic view is that we live here. Me, you get to visit my reality here too, okay? In 2022, okay? That all these things, that there's wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and plagues and all that stuff, and all that stuff is happening here, but it's also happening here, and it's going to happen here, and it's just everywhere, right? It's, it's all over the place. But then it says this, and this is where it gets specific. Verse 9, then they will deliver you into tribulation and will kill you. And you'll be hated by all the nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. This is a phrase that you have, a word you've maybe heard before called the tribulation. It's a big, scary word, isn't it? The tribulation, the great tribulation, and we can talk about pre trib, post trib, mid trib, okay, but, but the tribulation, and, and in a, in a um, futuristic view, a, the tribulation is yet to come. It's, it's a little interesting, just here's a little insight into human nature. Um, every generation thinks that we might be in the tribulation, right? Every generation looks around the world and goes, it couldn't get worse than this. Right, tribulation, and then there's um, uh, this other thing here that if you're a future, if you hold a futuristic view of end time stuff, is uh, called the great apostasy. Apost. Sure, there we go. The great apostasy, and it's this thing that he's talking about right here. He he says, verse ten: At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. That there will come a season in the future. Forward, that there is coming this moment where there'll be a great apostasy. And in a moment, he's going to talk about the elect, that the days are going to shorten for the elect. And so you have this separation between the great apostasy and the elect, the chosen, the remaining church, that this is out here in the future. And then it says this, verse 15, right? It says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, or, or your translation might say the book of Revelation, it might say book of Daniel, um, the abomination that causes desolation, which was spoke through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, right? And so there's this, there's this, I mean, so much of apocalyptic literature, it just sounds scary, doesn't it? The abomination that causes desolation, right? So there's this thing, the abomination that causes desolation, right? And it's out there, it's, it's going to happen, right? And that's coming. And, and, and a futuristic view says that Jesus, just as he says here, I'm telling you all these things ahead of time. Right, So we can prepare ourselves, we can know that, that this thing is coming, and, and there's going to be great pain, and, and many people are going to be martyred for the faith, and, and many are going to walk away, but there'll be some that remain, even in the face of this, this, this scary, terrifying thing of the abomination that causes desolation. But it gets worse, if it could. First of all, he, he says this, um... If anyone says to you, behold, there is the Christ, or, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arrive and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Right, And so even out here, past here, we have um, a, a, a true um, futuristic view is going to acknowledge antichrist and anti. Christ. P- Peter uses the language that there are anti right? There, there will be an anti-Christ, but there are these, these, these false Christs who come. And, and then here we go. This is where it gets really fun, right here. Verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Um, anybody, anybody seen the sun go dark? Anybody seen the moon not give its light? The, the stars fall from the sky, right? No, I mean, maybe I missed a news report, um, right? This is futuristic view says, you know, just there's all these things. Chaos just breaks out. Just ma- even the cosmos breaks out. Into chaos, And then, and then here, here's um, kind of the flagship verse of a futuristic view. If you hold a futuristic view, that's awesome. Um, there's a, just so you know, there's a lot of really smart people who hold a futuristic view. And my hope is by the end of this, you have no idea what view I hold, okay? So here we go. It says this, end of verse 30. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Anybody, anybody seen? Jesus on a cloud? No? No? He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and he will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Anybody, anybody See, seen, right? So, so futuristic view says um, uh, son of man trumpets. Right? That's all that's all coming. Now, like I said, there's some really smart people who, who believe this view. And, and this is probably kind of the, the common understanding. Um, uh, I, I don't put this up here, just so you know, so you can kind of relax. I'm not gonna put this up here to like make fun of it and then like tear it down and be like, Ah-ha! if you think this, you're an idiot, right? No, it's just like, there's a lot of really smart people who believe this. And this is a really valid way to see Matthew 24. There, there's other people who, who view other Ways, um, there, there's a, a view called a semi praetorist or a partial praetorist. Okay? Um, if you call yourself a praetorist, uh, you're a heretic. Um, but if you call yourself a semi praetorist or a partial praetorist, this is, this is how you look at Matthew uh, 24. Jesus was here. Oh, I forgot to mention this important detail. Um, when Jesus is speaking, it's, it's probably, this. I'll give you my for sure opinion in this, but um, it's my opinion, so it's right, is uh, Jesus was probably speaking in the year 30, okay? Now, now, don't get nervous. You're like, what? Jesus died in the year 33. He probably didn't, okay? In fact, the Bible doesn't say he did, so don't get nervous, Okay? Um, there was a guy hundreds of years later who took the Bible and a bunch of really bad documents and tried to reconstruct the calendar to come up with the year that Jesus was born so that all of the calendar could revolve around the year that Jesus was born, a really noble task. Here's the deal, okay? Um, He got close, hundreds of years, but most historians, most Bible scholars don't actually believe that Jesus was born on the year zero. He was probably born somewhere between negative seven and positive four. Okay? So Jesus could have died on the cross anywhere from year 24 to year 37. Okay? The most common view is that he was born in year negative three or negative four, and he died in year 30. Okay? So that's important later. So a, a, a futurist view says this. Uh, sorry, semi-praetorist view. Praetorist is the Latin word for, for past. Okay? So it just means that half of the stuff happened in the past. Right? So, so this is what it looks like. Right? This is how you read it. If you're semi-praetorist, or if you don't know that you are, and maybe you're going to be by the time we're done with service today, right? You say this, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will hear of wars and, and rumors of wars, so that you are not frightened. H- has that happened already? Have, have we heard of wars and rumors of wars? Has that, has that happened in the past? Right? Right? So wars and rumors of wars and plagues and all these things. Like, they've, they've, they've happened. Jesus, Jesus says that they're um, just birth pangs, right? And then he will say, uh, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. Okay, tribulation, tribulation, and death. Um, how, how many, who knows how um, all the disciples except for John's uh, life ended? According to church history, Every single one of them, except for John, was murdered, was martyred, would be the word we would use, every single one of them. So do you think that when Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, and, and he told his disciples and all that were standing there, um, there's going to come a really hard time, and uh, they're going to arrest you, and they're going to kill you. Do, do you think those words actually happened, that they came true? Yeah, they, they happened in the past, that, that, that already that already. Happen. John, which by the way, um, John didn't have it easy. If you know the story of John, John was arrested and abused violently multiple times. Uh, in fact, they, they tortured him in ways that was really attempting to kill him. And when they couldn't kill him, uh, they, they uh, sent him off to a deserted island and he spent the remainder of his days living on the island of Patmos, which is where he wrote the book of Revelation, right? Many in the early church, you can think, if you know church history, you can think of um, Nero was, was, was kind of the, the pinnacle of this if you're a uh, semi-praetorist. Uh, Nero was a twisted, demented, I mean, if you want an example of what wickedness looks like, just study the life of Nero. Um, uh, historians believe, with pretty good evidence, that Nero actually caught the city of Rome on fire on purpose so that he would have a reason to arrest and kill more Christians. Caught the city of Rome on fire and then blamed it on all the Christians so that everybody would riot in the streets and they themselves would want to murder Christians in the streets. Um, Nero has been said to have uh, arrested Christians and then his form of killing them is he would dip them in boiling tar. He would hang them upside down by their feet and dip them face first into boiling tar to kill them. And then, if that's not gross enough, he would take them and he would set them up as statues in his garden and burn them to illuminate his garden at night. So if you're talking to first century Christians, like, had they experienced tribulation? Had they experienced being murdered and, 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 and hated because of the name of Jesus? <laughs> they, they would say, in ways we can't fathom. He goes on, he says this, um, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through the Daniel prophets standing in the holy place, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Now, this thing that uh, Jesus is referring to, if you're a semi-praetorist, um, is spoken of in Daniel. You may have, if you've got a Bible with you, you may have a note. Uh, my, Bible, my Bible puts things in caps that are all quotations. Your Bible might do the same thing. If it's in all caps, it's quoting something from the Old Testament. And he's quoting Daniel speaking and talking about the abomination that causes desolation. And, and this was a historic event that occurred for the Jews. Um, They were conquered by a foreign army, and to show their power and their strength over Israel and the God of Israel, uh, they came and they sacrificed pigs on the altar. Now, you don't have to know a lot about the Jewish faith to know um, pigs aren't good, right? And they did it on purpose to demonstrate to the Jewish people their strength and power and the power of their gods over the God that the Jewish people worshiped. And, And this is what Daniel's Talking about, and if you're a semi um, you look at an event that occurred and you see something that looks very similar—an event that Jesus would describe as being worse than anything that's ever happened before, and worse than anything else that will come. To to see what this event is, there's actually another really important verse that you have to look at. It's verse 34. It says this: "Truly, I say to you." This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, now, you may think of that verse and you may look at if you're a futurist and go, uh, well, that's confusing because like how this generation won't pass away and all these things are going to happen, but they're, they're all going to happen in the future. And just if you're a futurist, just take a deep breath and you're okay. Um, there's a lot of really good explanations for it. One of them is this, and I think this is like the most valid explanation, just in verse 20, in chapter 23, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. It's the woes we talked about two weeks ago. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, right? You blah, blah, blah. And at one point he says to them, he says, you killed this man between the temple and the altar. You killed him, right? Well, here, Here's the historic reality. That man was murdered hundreds of years before those people lived. But what Jesus is saying is those people, right? This generation is those type of people. And if you're a futurist, all you think that Jesus is saying is there is a type of person that won't disappear from this earth, right? Jesus says it elsewhere about other things. He says, you always have the poor with you, right? And then when talking about this generation. He's talking about the type of person. But if you're a semi-praetorist, you take it as a literal understanding. So um, somebody... Somebody, you're going to have to uh, talk out loud for me. Somebody give me a, um, what feels like a very biblical number of years for a generation. If you, if you think in the Bible and it says a generation, how many years do you normally think of? Okay. First service, so you don't feel bad. First service, someone said, 144,000. <laughs> whoa, uh, 40, most of the time when scripture's talking, it'll say 40 is, is kind of a generation, it'll say like there's a spot in Exodus where it talks about 10 generations, and then later it refers to 400 years, right, 40 is, okay, so 40 is kind of a, so, so does anybody, can you think of something that happened 40 years later that might feel like the most horrific desecration the Jewish people had ever seen, something that might feel like the time when a conquering army came and desecrated the temple as sacrifices of pigs. If you're thinking of the destruction of Jerusalem, you'd be right. Forty years from the time Jesus speaks these words. um, Rome makes Israel an example. Couple of years before, Israel goes to war. And and here's an interesting thing to know about the Book of Matthew. Book of Matthew is actually probably written about here. Book of Matthew is probably written about the year 85. So even for Matthew, these these stories of of the temple are, are past tense, right? They're they're already they've already happened. And 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 Rome is fed up with this little corner of their nation that's honestly kind of constantly a nuisance to them. And nation and, and people rose up in revolt, and, and all of the power of the greatest army the world had ever seen descended on this little corner of Israel. And, and, it, and it does, it takes up a surprisingly long time, to be honest, but they come and they crush Israel. And they want to wipe them off the face of the planet. And so when they come into Jerusalem, they know that the center of what it means to be the Jewish people, the center of their culture and their religion and their tradition is the temple. And so they, 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 they obliterate it. I, 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 mean, I wouldn't say in unprecedented ways because um, that would discredit the depths of the wickedness of us as humans. But in historic ways, with historic might, Rome unleashes on, in fact, um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, some historians uh, have first hand accounts where, where they describe it this way, and they say that the fire of Rome burns so hot that even the stones caught on fire. I mean, it was a bloodbath historic accounts that, that um, the Roman army took the time to purposely dismount every single stone of the temple, one by one, to, to lever them off one another, these things that are as big as Volkswagens, so that there would be nothing but a pile of rubble remaining. And if you are a uh, semi-praetorist, you look and you see this great tribulation, and you see this um, deso- abomination of desolation, and you see all these things in the past. And then you get to verse 29, right? And verse 29 says this, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give out it its light, and stars will fall from the sky, and, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Again, you might have a little note there. You might have some caps and it might refer you to Isaiah. And Isaiah has this poem that Jesus is quoting when a conquering army comes and destroys and, 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 and there's such chaos and destruction that it feels as if the very creation is tipping off of its foundations. That's what a semi-praetorist would, would say. And, and then you have this verse, the problematic verse for a semi-praetorist. The, verse 34 is problematic if you're a futurist. Verse 30 is problematic if you're a semi-praetorist, and it says this, "Um, you will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of the sky with power and great glory. Now, now the explanation is this, is to say in Daniel 7, uh, Daniel has this vision. He gets these really vibrant visions. This vision, he doesn't even understand himself, right? And and someone, it says, looking like the Son of Man appears young to explain it to him. And uh, the vision is of these four beasts, and three of the beasts come, and he kind of describes them, but then the fourth beast comes, and he just says, it's unlike anything else. And this beast is, is so violent and so dark and so wicked that he crushes under his foot the Son of Man. But then the dream changes, and, and it sees God, and it sees the, 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 the everlasting, and he's seated on his throne, and it says that he raises him up onto a cloud, and he, that he carries him to seat him at his right hand as king of all of creation. And so a semi-praetorist says that this passage here, this reference, isn't actually to Jesus' second coming. It's it's to his death, resurrection, ascension, that he rules as king over everything, even over death. So maybe today, you, you're, you know, you're a little bit more in here, or you're a little bit more of a semi-praetorist. Um, there's a third one. I think this one is actually kind of the most interesting. and um, it, It's called... a. Um, Uh, multiple fulfillment or dual fulfillment theory. And and someone else uh, said it this way. This This is just what a dual fulfillment theory looks like. I don't know how well you can see that. That's a circle with arrows, okay? We have wars and we have diseases and we have death. And then we have people who call and we have great tribulation in the church, and people die and, and, and Antichrist show up and, 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 and things happen that make it even feel like the very foundations of creation shake and fall apart. and, and then we have wars and we have diseases and we have death and and then we have Antichrist and people fall away and people die because of Jesus, right? And you see, it just happens. And, and, a, and a multiple fulfillment person says, um, is this true? Yeah, 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 this is true. And, and this is true. And it's happened in between multiple times in ways that we haven't seen before. And, and, and it may sound like a weird explanation or a little bit of a cop-out, but here's the thing. We all on some levels are multiple fulfillment believers because um, have you ever read Isaiah 714? You know, You know that verse? It says this. It says, um, the virgin will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. You know that verse? We quote it often when it comes to Christmas because when we read that verse, we think of Jesus. Here's the problem. For hundreds and hundreds of years, nobody thought of that prophecy to be about Jesus. Jesus. Because see, what's actually happened in Isaiah is there's, a, there's armies surrounding Jerusalem and there's a king who's panicking. And he and he, and he says, he says I, I, I have to surrender. I have to ally myself with these people. And the prophet says, he says, no, 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 here, you're gonna know, you're gonna know that God's always gonna be with you because you see that woman over there who's never had a child, that woman who's a virgin. She's gonna get pregnant and she's gonna give birth to a son. And every single time you see that son, it is going to be a reminder to you that God will be with you always right? We, we, we call it dual fulfillment, multiple fulfillment. In that moment, it was a prophecy of God's provision and protection for his people. But then Jesus shows up, and we clearly see it throughout scripture. Scripture writers claim that prophecy to be about Jesus as well. There, there, there's a, an, another group of people. Um, here's my point. <laughs> Some people are like, <laughs> I'm waiting for one, okay? Okay. Um, There's another group of people, and they studied Scripture. I mean, like, their understanding of Scripture, I'm just going to be like, I can't use adjectives to describe how well they knew Scripture. Their study of Scripture is just unfathomable to our minds. The, the the script the depths that they understood the little itty bitty nuances the connections they saw in all these like little weird places like here's a great one right um Abraham and Isaac you know the story of Abraham and Isaac um, God tells Abraham he wants him to sacrifice his son <laughs> that's a fun story and. Um, so Abraham takes his son and he walks up onto the mountain with his son Isaac, and he's carrying the wood that's gonna burn, and he builds an altar, and he lays his son on an altar. And right before he's going to offer his son as a sacrifice, um, uh, God stops him. And in an interesting twist, God says, um, now you'll know that you can trust me. There's a sacrifice in the bush. Go grab that and leave your son and sacrifice. And, and we go, we go. Whew oh, that was close. God almost made him give up his son. And then, you know what these people said? They said, um, actually, God did call him to give up his son. Because if you read the passage, go back and look, if you don't believe me, if you read the passage, it says this. It says, and then Abraham descended down the mountain. It doesn't say, here's what they noticed. And then Abraham and Isaac came down the mountain now, here's what we know. We know that Isaac didn't die up on the mountain. We know that he came down the mountain. But what they would say is they'd notice this little thing, and they said, hey, there's something deeper. There's something more true happening than just what's happening physically, is that what God was calling Abraham to was to loosen his hands, even from the things that were most important to him, to trust him that he may not have sacrificed his son uh, physically, but in some way spiritually, he gave up his son to be the son of God, to give him. And, and, and in the same way, it's an image of what God's gonna do himself, that he's going to give up his son in our place. You, you know these people. Um, they, they were called the Pharisees. And they studied scripture to a way that we can't fathom. And they knew exactly what it was gonna look like for the Messiah to come. And then Jesus stands in front of them and they go, nope, nope, I read the book. I know how God happens. I know what happens. I know how this whole thing ends. And it's not ending with you in a cross. It's not ending with you in a grave. It's not ending you with sacrifice and submission. They knew the book and they missed the move of God. You see the great temptation in all of this, like this is good, and and, and if if, if this makes you worship and this gets you excited about who God is and what God's doing, like that's beautiful. But the great temptation, and I think one of the reasons so many of us are drawn to this is because we have an unsettled anxiety about the unpredictability of what's going to happen in the future. One of the things that's been so hard for so many of us for the last couple years is that everything that we thought we knew was going to happen has just become unsheveled and tossed, and it's even felt like the very cosmos themselves have fallen apart into chaos. And so instead of trusting the king of all creation, we trust in our wisdom and our knowledge. We find comfort and safety in believing we have the answers so that we don't have to trust the God who has all the answers in the midst of uncertainty. The invitation of God, the invitation of faith, of worship, is in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the unknown, to trust a God who is known. See, there, there are things that we can know. I mean, what will happen here? <laughs> Here's what I'm convinced. This is my position. You ready? I, I told you I wasn't going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. I'm pretty sure that when it all happens, we're all going to sit there and we're going to go, he was going to do it that. Like, how did I not think of that? But until then, the call of God on us, I mean, if Jesus wanted to be clear and to give us answers, (laughs) he did a really bad job. I mean, just look at, even Matthew, you know, look at what Matthew says in verse 15. He says, "Um, uh, the desolation which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. What? Like, why didn't he just say it? Right? What we can know. What we do know is that God is sovereign, that he is good, that his loving kindness never ends, that there is nothing in this world that has happened that he is surprised by. There is nothing that he's shocked by or scared of or surprised by, that from the very beginning of creation... It says, Genesis 3, we call it the Uh, Proto-Evangelium. From the very beginning, God declares to creation, to all of mankind, that he has a plan, that he's doing something. That from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it is a story of a God who is unflinching in his pursuit of redeeming and restoring all things. In fact, in the book of Revelation, there's this verse. I I love it. It says this. It says that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. Here's what that means and what should remind us every single day. That even before God spoke words into existence and things into existence, he had a plan to bring about restoration and reconciliation. The invitation of Jesus is not to a secret club to have all the answers. The invitation is to trust a sovereign God in his goodness and his grace and to know that even even when it feels like the stars are falling from the sky and the sun has been blotted out, even when it feels like all of chaos is breaking free, that he is God and he is good and he will not stop until he has redeemed and restored all things. That's our faith. That's our faith.